don't mind to kind of get us started just introduce yourself briefly and then talk about what you're doing now what's your job you're doing now what are you up to yeah so i'm ben frank i'm the ceo of wheelhouse which is a cancer patient navigation and care management platform we're based in nashville tennessee we sell a health benefit to employers mainly cell phone cool yeah cool so um, have you always been in healthcare? Is that something that has been a thing through your career or have you transitioned at some point? Have you always been in healthcare, Ben? Uh, so I, yeah, outside of school, yeah, I've been in healthcare, specifically oncology since day one. Um, finished grad school uh, back in the early 2010s and moved to Houston, worked at Indiana State for a while, which is a large academic cancer center. Mm-hmm. Um, did the academic thing for a few years, kind of climbed the ladder there. Um, and then went into the private sector, moved up there in Nashville, which is the healthcare hub of the U.S. I'm curious because my, as I mentioned offline, but I mean, my wife dealt with has dealt with cancer the last couple of years. Why oncology for you? Was it something that maybe touched your family? I mean, is that is that is that one of the reasons why I got in? I was just curious why oncology. Yeah, there's there's multiple reasons. Um, so my family, just like many families across the U.S., have been affected by cancer. Um, plenty of women out there went to breast cancer, actually. Mm. Um, and so I dealt with that growing up, kind of experiencing it through my grandmothers, my aunts, and, and seeing how it affected lives and seeing how complicated it was. Um, but then when I was 13, I was diagnosed with a blood disorder. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, in the pediatric world, at least, hematologists and the oncologists are typically one and the same where they operate the same practice. Mm. So I spent about a year and a half of my life in and out of an oncology practice, even though I didn't have cancer. And I was young and kind of malleable. And so this really affected me and it really showed me firsthand what these kids were going through. And so I, I think this left a lasting impression on me. It's always been something I've been interested in. And so when I went into healthcare administration after my college, I did an MHA program, essentially an MBA for healthcare. Um, I knew then that I was going to be interested in cancer. It was just something that was always kind of planted in my mind. Um, that's where it kind of started. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, I, it is wild, and I just only have learned this personally lately in the last couple of years, but it is wild how many people cancer really does touch. And you don't think about it till it hits you, but it's unbelievable. Um, so we appreciate your uh, being so intentional with that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, cool. yeah, so – um, Wheelhouse is your venture now, but you've had a few, correct? Like, is yeah, so I, I, this is my second company. Um, the first company I started was uh, called Apollo Healthcare. It, it's still around. I'm one of the board of Apollo Healthcare, uh, and we we patient advocacy work on the insurance side of the cancer, mainly in a very small niche called proton therapy, um, which is an advanced radiation therapy technique. And there's only a few centers, about 30 to 40 centers in the U.S. And so we have perfected the way that cancer patients can get access to this therapy, which is typically a struggle with commercial insurance companies. Medicare covers it broadly, 
but on the commercial side, it, it can be a challenge. And so we help patients get through that process to deal with the paperwork for them um, and deal with adverse denials and kind of help them get through that process for a better outcome. So that was the first company. Uh, we started also here in Nashville and then started a wheelhouse back in November. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Ben, have you found, so I, I know nothing about healthcare, nothing. And so like in my dealings with insurances, it has been a nightmare. <laughs> it's just like calling 10 times and, you know, find out nothing and then call 10 more and find out a little bit more. It's not very helpful. Have you found um, that it sounds like you know a little bit about um, what they're looking for? So have you found that um, you coming from a healthcare administration um, background has helped you in starting these few companies um, because you know a little bit about what they're looking for? Yeah. Insurance world is a product of our own system. The healthcare system in the U.S. has created the bureaucracy that we live in. And what I've found is very successful is actually bringing well-trained clinicians into the process. Um, so in the typical healthcare setting, administrators like myself uh, are put in charge of insurance processes and getting patients access to healthcare. Uh, when in reality, those conversations with the insurance companies are typically very clinical. And so you kind of get lost in the minutia and some of the patients suffer from that. Um, Specifically, when appeals get into the process and we need to bring in clinical justification uh, to get patient ac patients access to the therapies that they're seeking. Um, so what we have done with Apollo and now doing wheelhouse as well is, is attaching clinicians to the process and actually using them as advocates uh, to help patients get access to the care that they need. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of how we're reshaping the, the way that care is delivered and navigated. Yeah, with your with wheelhouse in particular, I wonder, because, I mean, we have a growing business as well. And so are you very intentional about who your first hire, second hire, third hire, fourth hire is? Not only can they do the work, but are they the type of person that you um, can grow with? Do you, do you have any, like, measurement for that, or is it all just kind of an intuitive feeling? How do you go about hiring the – because I'm, I'm sure the first few are, are very crucial to mm -hmm. your success or failure. Yeah. They definitely are. And so my uh, – I'll, I'll talk about my co-founder, Sally Eagleson. She is um, – she's a cancer survivor. And so whenever we first started talking about the, the potential of wheelhouse, um, she and I had a conversation. And, and she does – also, she's a trained clinician. She's a radiation therapist. Mm. Um, and also has been administrative side of our business for a very long time in the college space. And we started talking about, you know, if we were to build a team, what would it look like? And I knew off the bat that she, A, was a great find because she has a passion. And so that, if I had to pick one variable for the first hire since startup, it's about having similar passion that's aligned with the mission of the startup because that energy is going to drive the productivity that they have, the new ideas that they bring to the table, and also help us solve problems. Because part of a startup is investing and trying to figure out the problems early so that you can solve them to build a scalable product long term. And so you need to hire a team that is adaptable to that, that has the passion to push through the, the struggles and still be really motivated to get to the end product. So that's what we did. We, we just hired our first nurse navigator um, who is 
completely obsessed with helping cancer patients, which is ideal for us, right? So that's what we're, mm-hmm. that's the culture that we're trying to build. We want everyone on our team to just live, eat, sleep, breathe, think about helping cancer patients all day long, because that's what we are, right? Like we, we get so frustrated when we see a cancer patient struggling with the administrative, administrative side of their care and scheduling appointments and insurance stuff and having questions to ask the doctors but not having the ability to ask those questions. Mm. Um, we, it, it really frustrates us and that's the kind of passion and energy that we want to we hone that in to create a solution that can help those patients. Uh, so passion is the number one thing that we're definitely in the first Yeah. And I, I kind of want to bounce off one of the things you said. So as a former hiring manager in IT, like I didn't, we needed people to fit the job description, of course. Like if, if we didn't need um, Python developed, then we would ask for a high school graduate. So like we, we had to have some criteria, but more than that is one of the things that you said. And um, that was to bring new ideas to the table. Like we don't, we didn't know everything about um, cloud migrations at that sort of, at that particular time. We didn't know every way to do it. There's a thousand ways to migrate things on the cloud. So we needed people to bring new ideas. And so do you have the same mentality that like you have an idea of what Wheelhouse does and its mission, but you also need somebody to bring new ideas because mm. you, I mean, you're only as smart as you, but three people are much smarter than the one person mm. that's you. So how do you weigh that um, when you're thinking about adding a team member? It's, it's up there. I mean, when I say passion is our number one thing to look for, I kind of couple passion with, you know, when we're interviewing people, naturally the conversation gravitates to, oh, what if we did this or what if we did that? You know, I did this in my past and it didn't really work, and maybe we could tweak it to do this rotation. Right. That's the things that we look for, and I, I think that's idea generation in itself. But um, the passion, I think, is the root cause to those ideas forming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, critical thinking skills and and all sorts of uh, you know, idea creation skills or something that you're definitely interested in as a startup, for sure. And yeah. I think anyone who wants a startup would be interested in having employees with that skill set, for sure. You have to bring new ideas to the table, and not only bring new ideas to the table, but be able to execute on these ideas and you know show results, whether that result is, hey, this idea failed, let's move on to the next thing, or, hey, this idea is great, let's scale it into something that we can either sell or, you know, value for our customers. We talked um, to a CEO um, with a company out of Nashville on here as well that mentioned that he really likes for folks that he talks to to clearly articulate their failures because he wants to know that people can learn from their failures. Is that something that's kind of held true maybe even in your journey personally, but also in in your startups, like people that can articulate failure so you know that they've been able to learn and come back and um, are persevere all of those types of skills yeah absolutely i mean being able to talk about failure is something that is you know, relatively difficult for a lot of people uh and in the startup space it's pretty common to fail on this, right where we want to fail early fail often mm. um that we can learn from it and we tell that to everyone that we hire whether it was in my first company call or in wheelhouse um you know we're going to make mistakes and we have to be adaptable to that and then having them embrace that and talk about their own personal failures, whether it was in previous jobs or with us, 
is a really important part of the job. And you have to get past that because you have to see failure as a good thing. You want to fail because it's going to teach you something. You don't want to fail all the time, but <laughs> you, you fail a lot and you fail early in a startup, then it's going to often result in value because you're learning from those failures and you're creating something that is truly valuable for your customer and market efficient. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm just always, I keep, this word just keeps coming back just for what you do and um, how that translates with folks you might be looking for. And then what you've been able to do in your own personal career, but it's just purpose and that intention that y'all have, because what y'all do, just because I know personally just affects in uh, families in such a big way. So it's like for y'all finding talent over, over time, it's like, can connect to purpose and intention, I can imagine it'd be so huge. And um, it's been cool to hear that that's I mean, been about your career the whole time. I, I, I was kind of shocked to hear that you've been in oncology your whole career. I think that's amazing. Just keeping yeah, still that purpose is awesome. Yeah, when you, when you think about, you know, people talk about, you know, being happy in your job and waking up and liking going to work. The, the first step is finding something that you're truly passionate about. That's like, you know, I, I tell my friends and colleagues, what keeps you up? And that's, you know, that kind of passion is what's going to help you find that dream job, the job that's going to, you know, make you feel fulfilled and happy every single day. That's how we are in the college space. My partner, Sally, she's the same way. Yeah. So it's a big, big deal. Yeah, I that Sally, I was, um, until you were started talking about her earlier, she and I had connected on the phone briefly too. So I thought that was really amazing that she too is a cancer survivor. So yes. what an unbelievable asset as well that, that you've been able to build a company with. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's funny. We, we do this podcast today and I wonder what 20 years ago, I wonder how different answers would be to this, but change is is increasing in IT by the day. There there is different certifications, different ways of doing things, different ways to keep things secure every day. So when you look at your business, I'm sure there are changes coming down the pipeline in the next six weeks, six months, six years. So how do you um, prepare yourself and your team for all that change, which I, I would assume in your industry is just crazy and mm -hmm. never stopping. So how do, you, how do you handle that and how do you teach your team to walk through all that change um, with a level head? Yeah, you know, it's actually really challenging in healthcare, especially on the the reimbursement side constantly changing yeah. on a you know almost monthly basis, yeah. especially in the oncology space. Mm. Uh, but even outside of that, you have new technologies, new drugs, and new things that can help patients coming down the pipeline all the time as well. And you're constantly having research those things, and it can change your entire process. It can change the entire process of care for a patient. And the way that I personally handle it is just embracing it. And and it, I say that. Kind of flippantly, but it, you have to keep a positive mindset, especially if you're in an industry like healthcare where change is a constant and you're always going to be faced with it. Um, you have to just be on the positive side of it and just say, you know, take it every single day as a, 
a new opportunity to do better for patients. And that's how we communicate to our employees and our teams as well. Um, you know, change is a good thing because it means we're one step closer to getting to better care for patients. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's a step backwards, but we know that the positive moment can be good. And so and I think embracing it and just keeping a positive mindset is the best way to, to handle it. And also, you know, whenever you know, a really disruptive change does happen, being very transparent with your team is also extremely important about the effects that that change may have, have on your clients, your customers, your patients, and also on the business itself. Um, and then soliciting feedback from your team, I think is very important. Having a transparent organization is very important to see if you can work together to solve the problems that that change is creating. Um, and it, it, it's just going to make your organization stronger and your team stronger as well. That's really cool to hear from a leader that transparency is key because I know as you grow, it gets maybe harder because there's just more touch points between you and some of your employees. But I agree completely. I think that that's so huge. Um, and that's cool to hear you say from a leadership standpoint. Um, and in, yeah. Yeah. And in context to dealing with, like you said, an ever changing health, I mean, healthcare, like the only constant is change. Right. So, um, yeah, that's really, really neat to hear you say that, Ben. Ben, have you, have you ever um, interviewed for, I think maybe we'd look at your last organization um, to speak to this, but have you ever interviewed solely brought candidates in for only a culture fit? And, and if so, what, what were those questions like um, to find out if they were a good fit for you and your team? Yeah, and uh, I think previous to starting, prior to starting Apollo, I worked for an organization called Provision Healthcare, mm-hmm. which was based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, Mayon, and operated two cancer centers around the country. And they have, you know, an extremely robust patient-centric culture, mm-hmm. um, probably better than any other patient-centric culture I've ever experienced in my career. And I would say that every single person we hired was hired because they're a culture fit. And the leaders of that organization that I had a chance to work for, they were so adamant that when we hired someone, they had to have such a strong focus on customer service and, and patient experience that it was almost, you know, it was top of mind for every single hire period. And, you know, I think that was when I truly learned that hiring for a culture and the culture that you want to develop was so important. And so, you know, I would say that every single person you hire is hired because it fit into our culture, but um, and that goes for Apollo and Newhouse as well. But I would say I, I learned it from that organization. We very routinely hire people because we knew, oh, this person's just going to fill the patient, and we're going to figure out what to do with them. Like, and most of the time they had clinical degrees, and they, there was an obvious fit within the organization, but um, there was just you know, those, those times when you meet someone and you're like, well, you, you get it, you understand what we're trying to do, we're trying to change the way that healthcare is delivered trying to put the experience that a patient has top of mind and the most important thing outside of the outcomes, the clinical outcomes of this. So, yeah, I think you know, that was, I definitely hired someone for culture fit and that was probably the first half of my career. But yeah, it's an, it's, an inter- it's an interesting conversation because, like, of course, we want people to fit technically. And if they fit technically, 
that's easy to measure. It's easy to, easy to quantify. Mm-hmm. But are they a good cultural fit? That's harder, I think, to measure. And so, like, how do you do that? And is there a way to score that? Is there a way to score, like, this person's a 9.67 on the scale of 1 to 10, and this person's a 9.4, so you should obviously hire mm-hmm. the person that's 9.67. Um, yeah, so I've I found that as I talk to candidates um, – as a real challenge, but I think it's one that I'm up for because candidates that fit with the client's culture, they'll stay a lot longer. Mm -hmm. They'll be happier. Mm -hmm. They'll work harder. They'll be more productive, just like we were talking about earlier. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, So I don't, I don't have a scoring system. And if you come up with one, I'd love to look at it. (laughs) uh, When we were at Provision, we would have interviews and and when interviewees would come in, they usually sit in a patient lobby. And it always struck me as impactful when I would walk downstairs to grab someone for an interview, and they would just be casually talking to one of our patients. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was a good indicator that oh, they're going to have a good fit. They're going to feel comfortable around cancer patients, which is already a very hard thing, um, because you're dealing with a very disruptive disease. And having someone that can just walk into a building, sit down next to a patient, just strike up a conversation with them is really cool. And 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 you're interviewing someone, that, that would be a good gauge for me, just seeing them, you know, how they intermix with our patient population. But, um, yeah, I don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good gauge. Just see it right from the front in the lobby. That's awesome. Um, well, Ben, I think we're probably getting close to running up on time. We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Um, but we also like to do this as well. I think Matthew may have mentioned at the beginning, but if there's anybody out there that's listening that might want to connect with you, if you're okay with that, is there a way that folks could connect with you if when they hear this episode? Yeah. Uh, email me at ben at wheelhousecares.com. Um, we're trying to build a really strong team right now. So if you are interested in moving into the oncology space, reach out. We're, we're trying to disrupt the entire space and change the way that healthcare is delivered in our country. The new direction, and we're really excited about it. That's awesome, Ben. Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. So... Thanks, um, Ben. We'll much be in touch. I, I, it's always good to be talking to Nashvilleans. So, uh, but thanks so yeah. much, man. Appreciate you. That's what we're talking about. You too, man. See ya. Bye.